We're going to be reading from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 13. And this is, a, this is an amazing passage. We know it all well. But it's, uh, it's the day before the crucifixion. And tomorrow, Jesus is going to have his hands and feet nailed to a Roman cross. And all of his disciples are going to forsake him. But today, he's washing his disciples' feet. John chapter 13, page 763 in the New Testament, part of the Pew Bible. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. So as we come to this uh, beautiful and well-known passage of Scripture in John's Gospel, the Gospel of John takes a bit of a turn. Up until this point, Jesus has been uh, involved in public ministry, calling out disciples, teaching, doing miracles, demonstrating uh, who he is and what he is all about. And now 
Jesus, uh, last week we, we saw his final public act of public ministry and speaking out and crying out for those who uh, did not yet believe in him. Now he retreats to the upper room. And so we have here in this section of scripture, beginning here in John chapter 13 and John 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, we have the longest and largest single body of teaching of Jesus anywhere in all of the four gospels. And it's Jesus teaching and preparing his disciples for uh, being sent out as his ambassadors, as his representatives into the world. Jesus is preparing them and training them as to what it means to be his ambassador, to be his representative into this world. And so it's the, the largest single flowing uh, section of teaching that we have of Jesus. And so in uh, the year 2018, we will submit ourselves to this training, to the same training that the disciples reserve, uh, receive from Jesus. To be sent out as his representatives after Jesus' resurrection. We believe that's our calling as the church. And so we're actually going to slow down. We're going to go through John even slower than we have. And we're going to slow down and really uh, dig in and receive from Jesus, from his very mouth, the teaching, the training that he gives his disciples on what it means to be sent out into this world as his ambassadors, as his missionaries, as his servants. And here, though, as Jesus enters the upper room with his disciples and he's about to go through all of this teaching, this training, he begins with an object lesson of the kind of person who can represent him. He demonstrates for for us and for his disciples uh, the kind of person, the qualities of the kind of person who is sent out to be a representative of Jesus, who it is that uh, he sends out. And he does that in this great act of humility, of service, of taking the, the lowest rung on the social ladder of the time, of, the, of that of a slave. This job of washing Someone's feet was reserved for the lowest of the low in the society. The, the, not even a Jewish slave would be subjected to doing this. It was only a Gentile slave that would be allowed to uh, wash someone's feet. And, but there's at least two levels of meaning in this text. And I want there's probably more. I'm just not smart enough to to pull those out, but there, I, I see two levels of meaning in this text, and I want to pull out those, those meaning. There's, there's the meaning of the act itself, of what is Jesus teaching and showing his disciples by, by doing this. And this is this act of humility that's really pulled out here in verses 3 and 4. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, was returning to God. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where, where he was going. He knew the authority he had. He knew the high rank he had. He knew that he was God the Son, co-existent, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father from all eternity. He knew the high rank and the glory that was his. He knew what, he, what rights he had. He knew the power that he had. All things were under his power. So, verse 4, so, because he knew all of that, he got up from meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, 
and begin to wash his disciples' feet. So there's, there's, a, there's a instruction here for us in this act itself. What is Jesus meaning to communicate by him as, as the one of high rank, of all authority, getting down on his knees, really stripping down and, and exposing himself, wrapping a towel, taking the very form of a slave to serve his disciples. So there's, there's that level of meaning. But then there's also the symbolism in the act, the symbolism of washing. And he draws that out in this, uh, this teaching, with, in this interaction with Peter. When Peter says, well, I, you're, you're my master and Lord. I don't want you washing my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you're not really part of me. And so Peter says, well, no, wash all of me. And he says, no, you are clean, but I need to wash your feet. And so we're going to draw out what, what, what meaning, what's the meaning there of the washing that Jesus pulls out uh, with Peter. So three points in the message here today. Jesus, first of all, first point is Jesus washing Peter's feet. Jesus washes Peter's feet. We want to talk, I want to talk as well about the fact that Jesus washed Judas's feet because John means for us to, he draws attention to Judas at several points in this passage, he means for us to understand and, and realize and pay attention to the truth that Jesus washed the feet of the man who would betray him. So what, what, what do we learn from that? And then we're going to talk about washing one another's feet because Jesus says, I'm your Lord and teacher and I've washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. Okay, so Jesus washing Peter's feet. Jesus washing Judas's feet, and then what does it mean for us to wash one another's feet? So Peter, so first of all, Jesus washing Peter's feet. What do we learn here in this uh, interaction with Peter? Peter resists, right? Peter says, no way, Jesus. You should not be washing my feet. You're my teacher. You're my master. I'm your follower. You're of higher rank than I am. You're of more authority. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's already confessed that. Peter uh, is, is realizing who Jesus is, that he's the, the Messiah, the Christ, the one sent from God. He, G, Peter understands that he is Jesus' follower, that Jesus is uh, over him. But, and so Jesus' act of getting down on his knees and washing Peter's feet, taking on the... The, the, the role of Peter's slave doesn't fit with Peter's framework of leadership or authority. Elders and masters, rabbis, teachers were to be respected, to be given the place of honor, to be given the best seat. And this is not new teaching. In Mark chapter 10, the, Jesus' disciples were are arguing about who was going to be, the, who, or who, who among them was the greatest. They were literally having a, a discussion about who was the best disciple. And Jesus says, guys, that's not, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. You know that in pagans, the, uh, the world, that, that those who have authority lord it over those who are under them. And he says, not so among you. For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is not new teaching for Peter, and yet Jesus needs to repeat it again. He says, yes, I need to wash your feet. I need to serve you, Peter. In order for you to be a part of me, in order for you to belong to me, 
I actually need to serve you. And so, in a sense, Peter, you need to humble yourself enough to realize that you need me to serve you. This interaction with Peter really shows us the deeper meaning, the symbolism of the washing. You know, if, if this act was only meant for us to be an example, that those who are in high positions, those who are of, of authority, those who are of high rank, are meant to get underneath and serve those underneath them, if, if that's all this was, if this was just that object lesson, when Peter resists, Jesus would, rep- would respond, Peter, you're ruining my object lesson here. I need to wash your feet because I need to give this exa- the example. But that's not what he does, right? He, he, he gets to Peter and he says, he doesn't say, my lesson isn't working here. He says, if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. And so he places this great priority on saying that this act of me serving you, of me washing you, is really saying something greater than just how to live and what to do. It's more than just this act of humility. It is that. And and John means for us to do that. And we're going to get there. But, But there is a deeper meaning. And then Peter says, well, if that's the case, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person, verse 10, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, referring to Judas. Judas is not clean. And so Jesus is saying, if I don't wash you, you're going to be like Judas. You won't be clean. So but, but he, he says to Peter, he says, you are clean. You are clean. And so we need to understand that there's, in the New Testament, there's, there's two different kinds of washing, cleansing, that the New Testament refers to. There is kind of a once and for all kind of washing. The, the, the New Testament calls this the washing of regeneration. Washing of regeneration. Regeneration means born again. That to truly believe in Jesus, you're given new life, a new heart, you're converted, you have eternal life. You've moved from death to life, from you're a son or a daughter of light, you're children of God, you're saved, you're justified. That's all this New Testament language means that you are completely clean. And so Jesus here says to Peter, you are clean and yet I need to wash your feet. I need to clean you. Even though you already are clean, the one who's had a bath doesn't need. Where does he say that? He says, a person who's had a bath, verse 10, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. He says, you are clean, and now, but yet I need to wash your feet again, because you've gotten a little dirty. As you've walked along throughout the day, your feet have gotten dirty. And so there's... Um, this repeated action, this another kind of cleansing, another kind of washing the New Testament talks about, which is this repeated action of Jesus washing our feet, which represents this daily confession of our sin and turning to Jesus for the application of what he's already done for us. So sometimes I, I say this where this is the process of becoming what we already are. Becoming what we already are. You are clean, and yet I need to clean you. You are washed, and yet you need to be washed again. You are holy, but we need to become holy. 
This is really the, the, the crux of... Um, John has another book uh, called First John. Um, he is actually creative, but First um, John is a letter that the Apostle John wrote to the churches. And John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this. If anyone says... It should be on the screen here. If, anyone's, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and, and he's here referring to another biblical imagery of leaven, um, which is like yeast that, that would make bread or dough rise into bread. He says, and leaven in the scripture is a sign of sin, that when sin or when leaven or yeast gets into the dough, it spreads all throughout the dough. And, and, and so the the biblical images of, of sin infecting us, and it gets all throughout us. And so that's why the Israelites uh, the, celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, of, of holiness, of, of there's no sin amongst us. And But Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, a new lump of dough. As you really are unleavened. You're, so look at the image here. He says, cleanse out the old sin, so that you can be without it, as you really are. You already are unleavened. Now get rid of the leaven that's in you. You see that image? You're becoming what you already are. The, this need for daily cleansing, daily washing, because while Jesus has made us new, we're becoming new every day because we're not fully new yet. He's, he's fully saved us, and yet we're not saved yet. It's the already, but the not yet. Becoming what we already are. He's, he's declared us holy and clean, and yet he's making us holy. He's making us clean in our daily practice. And, but as we go, as we walk through this life, our old flesh, we're still weak. We're still infected with the leaven. We're still infected with sin. We're not yet perfected. We're not yet glorified. And so you and I are still serving other gods and speaking unkind words and rebelling against God and forgetting God. And, and Scripture says that that, that has a, a dirtying effect on us, a corrupting effect. And so the invitation of 1 John chapter 1 and really this image of Jesus washing our feet is this image of daily coming and saying, Lord, I've messed up again today. And I, I confess my sin. I, I agree with you against myself. That I, today I didn't love my neighbor as myself. I didn't love you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I, I didn't love my neighbor as myself. I was selfish today, and I forgot about you today. Agreeing with God about ourselves, against ourselves, confessing our sin, and receiving that cleansing already. You are clean, but the mark of truly clean people is that they hate their daily shortcomings. You are clean, but the mark, the sign of a truly clean person is that they hate their daily mucking themselves up. And so we need to come to Jesus for daily cleansing. And so this symbol of foot washing is, is that of, of coming daily to Jesus for him to serve us day by day to wash us clean again. He's declared you clean. If you believe in him, if you've trusted in him, if you've come to him, He's declared you clean, and yet daily we need to come again and have it applied again to us. 
And so representatives of Jesus come to him daily to be clean. Again, this is Jesus setting up for us what it means to be his representatives in this world. And and Jesus says, if you're going to be my ambassadors, if I'm going to send you out into this world to represent me, you're going to need to daily come to me so I can serve you, so I can cleanse you, so I can show you my grace again and again and again. Second idea that I want to just focus on for a, a couple of minutes is the fact that Jesus washes Judas's feet. Jesus washes Judas's feet. John brings up Judas, and Jesus brings up Judas in this passage a couple of times. Verse 2, he says, the, the, the devil, Satan, had already prompted Judas Iscariot, some of Simon, to betray Jesus. So he wants us... He wants us to know Judas is in the room when Jesus does this. He says, you are clean, verse 11. He says, he, uh, but not everyone, verse 10, not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. So, so John wants us to pay attention to the fact that Judas is in the room. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, followed Jesus for the last three years, heard his teaching, seen his miracles, and yet we know was greedy, had not really trusted in Christ, had not really given his life to Christ. He was in it for what he could get out of Jesus. He was, he was in it because he believed that Jesus would be his ticket to wealth and to power. He hadn't really submitted to Jesus for who Jesus was. He was looking for what he could get out of Jesus. To get what he really wanted, which wasn't reconciliation with God, was power, was authority, was wealth. And so Judas is getting frustrated, and he's inspired by Satan, and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He betrays Jesus for money, and if you know the story, after Jesus is crucified, Judas is, is distraught. He's, he's overcome with regret, and actually, he goes and, and throws the money back to the religious leaders, and he, and he commits suicide. He takes his own life. But before he carries out that, that plan of betrayal, Judas is sitting in the upper room, and Jesus is washing his feet. Jesus served Judas. Did Judas, did Judas feel clean? In those moments, did Judas feel clean? I don't think so. I don't think so. That's why he took his life. He thinks he's too dirty. He thinks he's too far gone. Here's Jesus. He's cleaning me. But who can fix this mess? Jesus can't fix this. He can't clean me. I'm too far gone. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're not too far gone. Maybe you hear this message, you hear this word, and you're just like, if you knew my past, if you knew the things that are in my heart, if you knew the sin I was even planning on committing later today, You wouldn't tell me that Jesus could forgive me. You wouldn't tell me that Jesus could 
cleanse me, that Jesus could redeem me, that Jesus could turn my life around. Jesus can. Jesus can. He can fix and redeem people that we believe are too far gone. Praise his name. Praise his name. He can fix and redeem people we believe are too far gone. And lastly, Jesus instructs us to wash one another's feet. So Jesus, from this high standing, says, I, you know what, I, I've gone low. I've gone low for you. And then you call me teacher, rabbi, you call me Lord, master, rightly so, that's what I am. I am above you. I do have all authority and all power. And if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant like you is greater than his master like me. You do know these things and you will be blessed if you do them. You'll be glad. You'll be supremely happy if you do them. If you will get down on your knees and wash one another's feet. I've given you example. The ones that I send out to go and represent me in this world, when they go, they need to go low. Again, Jesus should have been served, could have been served, but he goes low. He's come low. That's what we're going to celebrate starting next week in Advent, first Advent and throughout the Christmas season, that Jesus came humbly. He came low. He came down. He had all authority. Though he was in the very nature God, he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped onto, but, but he let go. And he came in the form of a servant and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He came low and he says, my representatives, if you will step out into this world, you'll need to step down from privilege. You'll need to step down from rank and you'll need to come humbly and come to serve. In all that you do, you'll need to do it with a view of getting under others to lift them up. Not getting over others so you can look down and feel superior over them. So how do we do this, Cornerstone? How do we do this? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? Thought, I thought and prayed long and hard about that question this week. What does it mean for us to wash one another's feet? To not demand our rights. But to give them up. To serve one another. How do we do that? Verse 14, he says, is a, is a beautiful Greek word, one another. It's only one Greek word. It's used a hundred times in 59 verses in the New Testament. The one another's. Maybe you've heard about the one another's. If not, do a, do a Google search sometime this week. Just go one another's New Testament. And you'll come up with at least 59 different 
texts in the New Testament, 59 different texts in the New Testament where this Greek word is used. The most, most common use that in uh, instruction for God's people and the one another's is to love one another. Love one another. Jesus does it, uses it three times later in this chapter in John 13. Love one another. Encourage one another. Bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Serve one another. I think we do well, Cornerstone, to dwell on the one another's this week. I can't go through them all. I don't have time to read all 59 verses. But you probably have time this week where you can just Google it or pull out your phone and just do a search of one another in your Bible app. And let the, let the Spirit of God use His Word to encourage us. But I did want um, to just say a few things about what, what I think it could mean uh, in our culture, in our day, about serving one another. I think it means I think it would mean for us uh, cornerstone that that we would to love one another well to serve one another well means that we'll assume the best about each other and we'll give each other the benefit of the doubt to serve one another well to to love one another well means we'll talk to each other not about each other To, to serve one another well means that we don't feel the burden of having to criticize everything. That we're free to say we don't have to voice our opinion about everything. Where we are free to serve away from the how could they do that or I would never do that, which is just pride and superiority. Being easily offended is not a fruit of the Spirit. We love that feeling. I think Canadians, but Canadians, I think it's a Canadian thing. We love the feeling of being, feeling first right, but wronged. We love the feeling of feeling right, but wronged. How could you do that to me? Easily offended. But friends, having received such grace from Jesus the washing of regeneration, the daily cleansing, we have a compelling reason to be remarkably gracious, remarkably inviting to one another, endearing in our treatment of others. Love one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. I think we can serve one another well. By being proactive in encouragement. Do you know what encouragement means? It means to give someone courage. Do you know how powerful, especially those of you maybe a little bit older than me, or in my age, to, to go to a younger person and to put your arm around them and say, I see this in you. And to call out the gifts that you see in, in a young person and say, I, I think this is what God's calling you to. I think you can do it. I think that, do you know what courage that can give? On the other hand, do you know what, how, how sapping of courage criticism can be? Especially when it's constant. 
Let's encourage one another. Serving one another means that we're going to look for ways to make things better. It means that we're part of a church not so much for what we can get, but what we can give. And how we can serve. How we can serve one another. Some of us are owners of businesses, presidents and companies, managers of others. If you will represent Jesus in your workplace, it means that your employees don't exist to make you money. It means that you exist to help them flourish. We don't get above people to look down on them. We get under people to lift them up. We get under people to lift them up. Jesus says, take a knee. If you're going to go, if you're going to obey the Great Commission, if you will go and make disciples of all nations, you need to go low. Taking the very form of a servant. That's the example that Jesus has given us. And so go as someone who has been washed. Go as someone who can daily be cleansed again from any and all sin. From anything that corrupts. You're not too far gone. You can come back today. And go as someone who, who, who releases authority. Who encourages. Who loves one another. Serves others well. Who gets underneath others to lift them up. Instead of getting over others to look down on them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you make us into this kind of people? Thank you for the grace of Jesus. That though he was God, very God of very God, he came as a servant. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Father, humble us enough to receive your service. May we not be like Peter and say, oh, we don't need this. We don't need to be served by you. Father, we would confess our sin today. We would not be among those who say we have no sin and so deceive ourselves. And we, would not, we don't want to be those who believe that we're too far gone. Father, I believe that you can redeem anyone. And in these moments, we, we think of those, Lord, whom we desire to, to see washed by the blood of Jesus. And we're tempted to think they're too far gone, that they'll never respond. They'll never experience your grace and your love. They think they're too far removed. And we pray, Father, that you would send your spirit to convince them that Jesus can save anyone. And having received such grace, Lord, I pray that you would make us into that gracious, kind, patient people who serve one another well, who love one another, who believe the best about each other, who encourage each other, and who release our own rights in order to serve others. And I pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.